key to birth, okay, and it's oxytocin. Oxytocin is literally the queen of the hormones. Oxytocin is the hormone that is released during intimacy, social, social interactions, uh, sex, orgasms. Oxytocin is this beautiful, incredible hormone, quite shy, but extremely powerful. This hormone is the same hormone that drives labor. When you first start to feel those surges, which are manageable at the start of your labor, this is a perfect time to celebrate. And it's the perfect time to really party through the first stage of your labor. Um, get the music on that you love, you know, dance, move. All this movement and dancing and mixed with oxytocin is gold dust. It is setting you up for a really incredible birth experience. I talk about, imagine, you know, if you wanted to get intimate with, with the person that you love, you wouldn't go outside into the front garden, invite your neighbors to watch. Like, <laughs> everyone come in, we're, we're gonna have sex now. It's, you know, you'd be dry as a bone. And it's exactly the same. When we implement that, that really sort of love making intimate time and we actually take that and then put it into birth that is why you you can then experience something which a lot of people call orgasmic birth which could mean completely euphoric and pleasurable in a different sense or it could mean orgasmic is in an actual feeling of an orgasm That was Emma Armstrong, a mother, certified doula, hypnobirthing practitioner, and birth influencer residing in the UK. Founder of The Naked Doula, which you need to be following on Instagram, by the way. She's a speaker worldwide and helps women transform their birth experiences with practical and emotional tools, educating women to make the best informed decision that is right for them. She made a prominent appearance in the birthing community when she began inspiring women with her unique style and witty and surprising language after being inspired by her late mother who passed away during her pregnancy. Her translation and explanation of birth has impacted thousands in their search for a positive, informed, and empowered birth experience. This episode was so much fun for me, not only because I love talking about birth and it's one of my favorite topics, but also because at the time of this recording, I'm due to give birth in just two weeks. So it's making me extra excited. I just really love birth, you guys. So you can find Emma on her Instagram at the Naked Doula and her website as well for the wealth of knowledge and educational content that she shares. Without further ado, welcome to the Ellen Fisher Podcast. Enjoy the episode. All right. Welcome, Emma, to the podcast. I am so excited for this conversation. As you know, I'm due to give birth in a couple weeks right now as we're recording this. So all the more reason to have this conversation because I love all the encouragement, all the tips, like going into each birth is just so exciting to me. So for people who don't know who you are, can you kind of share your story? What led you first to becoming so passionate about helping women have an empowered and transformative birth experience? Yeah, for sure. So I, I've always been interested in childbirth um, for quite some time. And I've always been interested in midwifery, but I just never got there. And it's, it's kind of strange when I look back now, because I think there is a reason for that. I always sort of got that step further to go into uni to do midwifery, but it just never worked out. Um, and then three over three years ago, when I was pregnant with uh, my first, Charlie, um, I had a really tough pregnancy. And not in myself, I felt absolutely fine. But Charlie, um, Charlie was breech. I had my mum who was 
um, unfortunately um, diagnosed with cancer and she was, you know, sort of end of life. So she passed away around, she passed away around 26 weeks of me being pregnant. And I, I think I, at that point, I hadn't really focused much. I realized I hadn't really focused much on, on the pregnancy or the birth. And even though I was passionate about those things and I'd been doing a bit of hypnobirthing, I, I sort of just took this grief and just started pushing it into like this focus, but it came like a bit of an obsession, as you can imagine, um, from that happening. And I just was so focused on, on birth and childbirth and, and learning everything about it. And the more that I learn, the more that I realized that everything that we all know from growing up and learning about birth is, is very untrue. There's lots of um, unlearning that needs to be done for that. Um, and then I ended up having an absolutely euphoric birth and it was a C-section, which was completely the opposite to what I intended, to what I wanted. I wanted a home birth. I wanted all natural. Um, but he was extremely stuck and I had a C-section and I influenced that massively. I had the most euphoric, incredible C-section. And just from that point, I just sort of found this power inside of me to really want to educate and to to work with other people and that's what sparked me to do my training and to start working with people and it just it's just gone gone crazy ever since and I'm more obsessed than ever so I am absolutely so excited for this conversation yeah. Oh, I love this conversation about birth. And firstly, I'm so sorry about the passing of your mom. I can't even imagine going through that while you're pregnant, something so traumatic and hard to go through and experience while you're trying to, you know, take care of yourself and prepare for birth. So that must have been incredibly difficult. And I think it's so beautiful the way you're speaking about your birth. That's something that I think is really attractive to what you're sharing because you're sharing so much about making educated and informed decisions and being what's right for you. And to, to be able to say I had a euphoric C-section, I think is quite a stigma, something that a lot of people don't talk about. And I think it's really beautiful to be able to frame and reframe essentially that birth can be beautiful no matter which direction it heads up in, goes in, even if it's not what your original plan was. And so I think that that's what I want to like really get into more right now about like how you are helping people to take harness of their power and learn their different options and do what's right for them. Because one of the things I really love to say a lot is that women should be giving birth wherever they feel safest. Like wherever you are safest, that's where you should be giving birth. Exactly. Exactly. Do you know what? I'm so glad you said that because this is the whole point. You know, if, if home doesn't feel good for you, then home is not the place to give birth for you. Like there's no right or wrong way and there's no one size fits all for birth. You know, and this is why we really have to tap into our inner power so we can make these decisions that are best for us. So I just love that because that's exactly, exactly hit the nail on the head to what I talk about most, you know. Right. So can you kind of elaborate a little bit more by what you mean about how you had an, a euphoric C-section? What does that look like? Can you just explain that for people? Yeah, sure. So literally people are always gobsmacked because 
a lot of people think, oh, as soon as they know they're having a C-section, whether that's elective or an emergency, they think that's it, all their options are out the window. But that's really not the case. We have so many options when it comes to actually being in theatre, um, from what we can ask for, what we can work with our um with our caregiver, for example, dimmed lighting, music, essential oils. I had, I had essential oils around me. I had like my music playing. I had my mom's handprint, like, you know, I felt like I was just in my bedroom. I had like my mom's handprint next to me. And, you know, and it was just, and they dimmed the lights. And I literally had asked for skin to skin straight away. I asked them to deliver the placenta at the same time so that I could get optimal cord clamping for my baby. And when I was actually in theatre, I've been practicing hypnobirthing. And this is when you understand how you can influence your oxytocin, how you can influence your body, no matter how you're giving birth, that's going to make a massive difference. And I just zoned out. I was in a beautiful place. It was so like out of body experience. I was sitting on a bank with my mom. We were holding hands and we were just enjoying the rip. Honestly, it was insane. And then all of a sudden I heard Adam, my partner, he sort of did a bit of a gasp. And I opened my eyes and baby was, was gently, gently coming out and straight onto my skin. And he was so calm. He was so calm. And they, they were a bit like, oh, you know, but I knew because you know, you know your, you know your body, you know your baby. And I just, I knew he was, he was happy, he was calm because I just had a very calming birth experience. And this is where it makes a massive difference because it doesn't matter which path it takes. If you understand the basics of how to influence your birth through using those hormones and going into those places and surrendering to birth however that looks then you can have the same experience no matter what that's amazing that the way you explain that words are so powerful i think and when we speak life into people's stories it helps other people like into your own story it helps other people to be able to speak life into their own story so maybe somebody listening has had a c-section and might have uh, have traumas behind it right and being able to hear someone else's story about it could bring a little bit of peace about it i think or at least help women going into the future that if they do need a c-section that there are ways to influence how you are feeling around that c-section 100%, you know, and I think a lot of the time we feel like having a C-section means we're a complete failure and our body cannot birth and, you know, and, and I think this is where like a lot of the trauma comes from, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, that at all. Every birth is valid, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm a, a failure or I'm, you know, worse off than the person that, you know, I mean, obviously physiological differences of course you know there there are physiological differences we that's science but at the end of the day the experience you can still have that experience and anyone i just say to anyone that has had that c-section and feels that way you are so valid and your birth is so valid it doesn't you know make you any different to anyone else and i think when we go back and we we go like sort of go through our stories retell our stories in our minds 
we can really help to regulate our nervous system, really help to regulate those emotions and really feel good and happy about you know, what happened. Yes, totally. I just launched a birth course called The Empowered Pregnancy and Birth that I've worked so hard on these last months and I've never been more proud of something I've created. This course is filled with everything I wish I was told before I came pregnant with my first child over a decade ago to have an easier, quicker labor, and even a pleasurable birth experience. And we're doing a huge price promotion right now, now through October 9th for $100 off the course. Just click the link in the description box or show notes and enter the code LAUNCHPARTY at checkout. This is the first and only time we'll be offering a price promotion this big, so even if you're not pregnant but you think you'll want to use this resource in the future, now is the time to get it and take advantage. I created the course with my sister, Hannah McNeely, and we have some incredible contributors in this course, including Dr. Gemma Newman, who collaborated with us on plant-forward prenatal nourishment. She's an MD who's a senior partner at a family medical practice that has worked in many specialties, including obstetrics, gynecology, and pediatrics. We have Haley Callahan, a donor-certified doula who collaborated with us on having an empowered birth for those choosing a hospital setting. We also have an incredible yoga instructor, Michelle Mensch, with prenatal yoga classes and birth meditation. And finally, Heather McKean on the mind change method and how to rewire your brain for a more pleasurable and gentle birth experience, which is one of the most powerful parts of the course, in my opinion, because something like hypnobirthing, for example, can be really helpful for a lot of women. But for many women like myself, you can say all the positive mantras you want out loud and envision the birth you desire. But if your subconscious believes otherwise and tells you, "Uh uh-uh, that's not what birth feels like. I know what the movie showed me it feels like. I know what my mom and friends say it feels like. I know what my past birth experiences even felt like. Then it's not going to get you very far. That's why we have to rewire our brain and change not only the conscious mind, but also the subconscious mind. And Heather, someone who's helped so many women like myself achieve the birth they desire, shows you in this course how to do that. This course is centered around becoming empowered and making informed choices, optimal pregnancy nourishment, giving birth where you feel safest, getting back to birthing wisdom, and my favorite part, how to have an easy, quick, and pleasurable birth experience. It's filled with how to prepare your mind and body for conception, creating a birth plan that's right for you. We also go into nutrients of focus, healthy foods to embrace, and supporting your body through movement, how to get baby in the optimal position for birth and the secrets to avoid tearing, how to have an easier labor guaranteed, and the information that made my last three labors significantly more pleasurable, gentle, quick, and easy than my first two. We include everything you need to know postpartum, breastfeeding, and more. And there's even a lesson for your partner, if you have one, in how they can best support mama in pregnancy, labor, birth, and postpartum. So you can get access to the course at ellenfisher.com or click the link in the show notes and description box to learn more about the course. I've never been more proud and excited about something I've created. Birth is life-changing and I'm really passionate about sharing all that birth can be gentle, peaceful, easy, and even pleasurable. So don't forget to enter the code LAUNCHPARTY at checkout for $100 off and it ends October 9th. So can you get into a little bit, speaking of like educating yourself or being able to make informed decisions? Um, what the red flags are for if you're with a practitioner or a hospital or healthcare provider or even midwife, things that are red flags for you to be aware of when you're coming to making your own informed decision. Of course. So, you know, wherever you are in the world, um, you know, especially obviously in America, um, I think it may be the same in Hawaii, uh, you know, it's medical insurance, isn't it? So you are paying 
for a, a care, your care provider. Here in the UK, we have um, that care as standard um, anyway. But never, nevertheless, whichever route that is, wherever you are in the world, that care is there to support you, to help advise you. It's not a law. And that's really important for people to know. You know, what, what we are being told is not law. It is giving us information uh, for us to go away, educate ourselves and make informed decisions. So, for example, red flags for me, and I hear this a lot, um, a lot around induction, because I hear things like, you, we have to induce you at 40 weeks, otherwise your baby may die. You know, really terrible, terrible things that, that women are being told. Oh, you know, your placenta is going to fail if you go over this amount of weeks. Um, don't put yourself in danger. So I say anything that, anything that you're having, if you're having conversation and a comment comes across from a place of like, fear, like it's fear driven or it sounds coercive, that is a red flag. That is a red flag. That is time to stop and just say, hang on a minute. Can you explain this more to me? Can you provide me with the evidence? Can you back this up with statistics? Because a lot of the time we are so frightened to actually come forward and, and ask for that, but it's our birthright. It's our human right and our birthright. And that's your birth. You know, maybe you, you have one, two, three, you know, and in some cases, if five babies, but each time it's an incredible experience that you need to be able to make the best decisions for. So those for me are, are red flags, you know, or when they want to try and do something without your consent, for example, a sweep. I'm just going to do a bit of sweep. Or I did a sweep whilst I was down there. That is disgusting. That is assault and battery. Like no one so should... Can yeah, can you explain what a sweep is for someone who doesn't know? Of course. So a sweep is where you would have a vagina. It would be like a vaginal examination. The midwife would pop their uh, fingers up and they would sweep around the cervix. This is to try and stimulate the labor process, okay? But what a lot of people don't know is that if your baby and body are not ready, and this is a, an, a form of induction, which they, they don't necessarily tell you all the time, but if your body and baby are not ready, that is not going to do absolutely nothing at all. It's just going to irritate the cervix. You may experience bleeding. Um, you may experience very you know, uncomfortable feelings. Some people say it's very painful. Um, and it could be absolutely just make no difference at all. Some people, there's a 50-50 chance for those whose bodies and babies are ready it can sometimes, you know, stimulate the labor process. But for a lot of people, it can just be damn right uncomfortable. And this happens, this is happening, that's being done without people's consent all the time. So it's important to know and understand these things and ensure you know what your care provider is doing and why they're doing it. Yes, absolutely. I love what you said about being willing to confront someone's statements towards you to to challenge it if it doesn't feel right. Some people I think really struggle with confrontation and so it can be difficult to do that, but harnessing 
like your power going back to that and talking about the importance of this being your birth and like you said your birthright to have informed decisions um, I think is so important to be able to respond back to something that doesn't make sense and I think it's really helpful to encourage that because a lot of times we're just kind of told okay this person knows more than me I have to just listen to whatever they say and not challenge it but that's not necessarily the case no and a lot of the time we have this white coat syndrome you know We, we go into a hospital or a doctor's and straight away we're sitting on a bed or sitting on a chair and we're sort of okay and that's very natural that's a very natural reaction to that environment but birth is not a a, a medical issue birth is not a, a medical problem that you need you know help with it's not like you've broken your leg and you need to go and be asking the questions about why they're putting a cast on your leg you know it's it's completely different birth is um birth is happening and it's happened for for you know it's hundreds of thousands of years you know it's been going on for so long it doesn't need us to be rigid about it it needs us to just get in that get get within ourselves find that power and that comes that comes with time and that comes with learning and education and knowledge and being able to then bring that forward and ask the right questions Perfect. So let's get in. Are are there any more red flags that you want to mention or should we get into my next question? Yeah, there are a few other red flags, which which I find uh, really frustrating, which is the suspected big baby. So a suspected big, big, big baby is something that comes up a lot. We think we need to induce you or we are going to induce you because you've got a big baby. Um, just to be clear for everyone out there, when it comes to growth scans later on in pregnancy, they are notoriously inaccurate. You cannot possibly measure the size of a baby who is curled up inside of your womb, all nice and tight and snug. It's almost impossible to measure that. Also, our bodies are also different. So you might have a small bump, you might have a big bump, you might have a, a different kind of bump, like that's completely normal and that's fine. There's no, again, there's no one size fits all. Um, and a suspected big baby is not a reason to induce. It is not, and that I hear it often, very scary, you know, that the big baby due dates kind of thing going on a lot of the time and it's just, it's just completely unnecessary. So get informed. Yeah. Absolutely. I do have a a friend who had that experience and she was very, she felt left very defeated by it and um, pretty much traumatized from it because she was told and scared into an induction saying your baby is so big, your baby's likely 10 pounds, we have to, we have to induce you or it's not going to be possible for you to give birth vaginally. And so she got the induction and her baby came out at six pounds. And just she was so frustrated by that because she really she didn't want to be induced. And so that is something that's really helpful for people to take into consideration, like knowing the facts behind it, how difficult it is for them to really measure that. And sometimes the inclination that physicians can have to induce, even if it's unnecessary. 100 percent. And you can birth a 10 pound baby. Like, yeah. you know, unless unless you have a medical condition, which is going to, you know, and you'll have on steroids, it's going to affect the size of your baby, which is, you know, through drugs, for example, any nor- like normal low risk pregnancy, 
if your baby's growing, your uterus will only grow as much as your body can grow, you know? So most of the time, yeah. your body's not going to give you a baby that you're not capable of birthing. You yes, know, we, we lose confidence in our bodies, but our bodies are incredible and they know, they know how to birth. Right. So what's one more red flag? And then I want to get into my next question, which I'm excited about. Brought to you today by Bite. I'm obsessed with Bite toothpaste bits for so many reasons. Not only do you avoid the harsh chemicals, artificial flavors, and preservatives that you get from conventional toothpaste, you also get to avoid the plastic waste from using bottled toothpaste as well. That's why Bite makes toothpaste tablets made with clean ingredients that are sulfate, palm oil, and glycerin free. And on top of that, the jars are so pretty. It comes in refillable glass jars and they send refills in compostable pouches, so they're better for our bodies and our earth. No more plastic toothpaste tubes. Bite toothpaste bits are so convenient. You just pop a bit in your mouth, chew it up, and start brushing. It will turn into paste just like you're used to, but with no plastic tube or messy paste, which makes it extra convenient for kids who think popping a bite in their mouth is so fun and makes toothbrushing time a pleasant experience. It honestly felt a little weird at first, but now my whole family is obsessed. It's so effective and makes my teeth extremely clean. I ran out of bite toothpaste bits once, so I went back to my old regular toothpaste, and very quickly I realized that my teeth didn't feel as clean. So I'm never going back to paste and will be using bite from here on out. And my holistic dentist fully approves. Bite makes plastic-free alternatives for everything on your bathroom sink so you can cut out the harsh chemicals and plastic waste without compromise. And Bite is offering my listeners 20% off your first order. Go to trybite.com slash Ellen or use the code Ellen at checkout to claim this deal. That's T-R-Y-B-I-T-E dot com slash Ellen. I will just touch on, I'll touch on due dates because due dates come up a lot. We are all given an estimated due date and it always seems to be if you don't, if you're not sort of ready to give birth on your due date or your baby doesn't come, that is a dangerous situation and we need to get you in straight away. Um, And then a lot of coercion starts around that date. Just to be clear, due dates are extremely inaccurate and they are based on um, a rule that was made up by a man in 1744 based on like 300 Dutch women. That is it. And this rule, this rule from 1744, we are still using today to try and calculate birth. What makes this even worse is that because they didn't know whether he meant seven day, you know, seven days, you know, at the end of the end of the uh, period or at the start of the period, he, you know, it wasn't clear. The American um, American uh, Medical School decided that it was actually the start of the period, so they knocked it back a, an extra week. Oh wow! Yeah. So, <laughs> so in uh, most places, it's it's forty weeks. But and I, I'll just say this now. So I, I'm expecting I'm expecting a baby, as we spoke about. And my yeah, congratulations! Thank you, thank you, and my. My actual sort of, you know, gestation at the moment is six and a half weeks, which is untrue because I I know my date of conception. So I'm only four and a half weeks, theoretically, but I'd be classed as six and a half weeks. So imagine I then go and I continue on and they say, this is your due date. I get to 40 weeks, but I know my baby has a couple more weeks left in, in him or her, you know, before they may be ready to be born. It's, it's so different. Only 4% of babies are born on due dates. Please don't get hung up on it. And, you know, really ask the questions. 
trust your body and do your research. Perfect. Yes, that's such good advice to not because it's easy to get so hung up on a date when really it could be many different days surrounding that. Okay, so my next question is like something I'm so excited to get into. What are your top birth tips as a doula, as an educator, um, that people need to know for an easier and more pleasurable labor? Do you know what? This this is so super simple, so super simple. And it is the key to birth, okay? And it's oxytocin. Oxytocin is literally the queen the queen of the hormones. Oxytocin is the hormone that is released during intimacy, social social interactions, uh, sex, orgasms. Oxytocin is this beautiful, incredible hormone, quite shy, but extremely powerful. So this hormone is the same hormone that drives labor. That is what is signaling your uterus to contract. So with more oxytocin that's flowing in our body, the more that our beautiful uterus, this beautiful group of of muscles are able to contract and really give optimal um, contractions and optimal dilation. Along with this, the more oxytocin we have flowing, the more euphoric we feel, the more in tune, the more, you know, sort of in touch with ourselves. Some people really feel that euphoric feeling. And then you have... I mean, I love it because then oxytocin signals endorphins, okay? If you can imagine endorphins, they come down on parachutes like the SAS. They attach themselves to the nerve uh, receptors, the end of the nerve receptors, and block pain signals. Your your body has a beautiful network and a beautiful way of, of creating a beautiful, pleasurable, enjoyable birth experience, which feels intense, of course, but at the same time, powerful, And that's the difference between understanding that and how to influence those hormones compared to going in with fear and actually having adrenaline take away all those hormones, scare them all away and being completely rigid. And that's where all the pain comes from, right? That's where all the tenseness and this this whole horrible feeling, of course it's going to hurt. You know, your body's pushing against a muscle Like that's tiring and that's painful, you know? Yes. So my absolute ultimate key to that experience is oxytocin. And you can go as as far as you want with that. You can go as far as you want with that. If you want to introduce, you know, nipple stimulation, you know, that intimacy and the, you know, clitoral stimulation even. I mean, that literally is like the gold of creating the best possible labor and the best possible contractions, you know? I know. I know. I This this is what gets me the most excited about birth because this is, for anyone listening who doesn't know, this is going to be my fifth home birth that I'm having. And in my first two births, my midwives, I remember I was, you know, going through the motions. It was taking a long time. It's dragging out. And my midwives, they both, different midwives for different births said, why don't you go be intimate with your partner? Go, go be alone and be intimate. And I looked at them like they were crazy. I'm like, what are you talking about? No way. That is the last thing I want to do right now because I hadn't associated sex and birth to being connected and to the feelings of pleasure being connected with birth the way that sex is. So suffice it to say, I ignored their advice and my labors were 24 and 26 hours long 
and just dragged on. And I didn't, I didn't associate that pleasure sensory experience with sex like I did with birth. So then with the third birth, I really wanted it to be different this time. I was like, I'm going to do this differently. And I did a lot of subconscious work retraining my brain um, with what is called the mind change method with a friend of mine who is a practitioner with that um, method. And I was like, I want this labor to be eight hours long. I want it to be pleasurable and I want it to feel good. And we used words that were much more associated with like pleasurable, sensual feelings. And then once I came into labor, I found myself actually wanting to be intimate with my partner because I had really understood at this point how they're connected. And what a difference it made, like my whole body softening. And and for anyone listening, as you're explaining this, you're explaining oxytocin and um, sensual pleasure. I've seen you explain it before on your Instagram. Um, and also this is a way I love to talk about it as well, is like if you're having sex and you're not happy, safe, secure, um, and loving it, sex does not feel good. Like that's not what sex is supposed to feel like. Right. And you're tense or or if somebody walked in on you while you're having sex, like everything just clamps up, right? Like as opposed to when you're alone, safe, and secure and you have all the connective feelings with sex, like sex is pleasurable. You soften, you open up and everything feels better. And that's exactly what happened in my birth. <laughs> it was amazing. I, I love that. And, and this is it. A lot of people feel the same as you did in your first two births. They like, that is just in their mind. They can't comprehend that. It's kind of like, oh, why would I be feeling that way in my labor? But actually, they are so closely connected because it is the same hormone. And when you understand that, and you're right, I talk about, imagine, you know, if you wanted to get intimate with with the person that you love, you know, and you end up, you, you wouldn't go outside into the front garden, invite your neighbors to watch, and, you know, and then Brian down the road, we're gonna get him to tell your partner, if he's a man, you know, when to push. Like- it, Or go to the hospital and be like, everybody watch. Yeah, exactly. Like. <laughs> Everyone come in, we're, we're gonna have sex now. It's, you know, <laughs> you'd be dry as a bone. He, you know, he would be just shriveled up, you know, like <laughs> within himself. It'd be so embarrassing. And it's exactly the same. When we implement that, that really sort of love making intimate time, and we actually take that and then put it into birth, that is why, that is why you you can then experience something which, you know, a lot of people call orgasmic birth, which could mean completely euphoric and pleasurable in a different sense, or it could mean orgasmic as in a natural feeling of an orgasm. Um, and I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, but I, like, why wouldn't you not want to, you know, feel that pleasure? Like, I cannot wait to give birth. I literally have told Adam, like you better be ready for this because it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a um a very you know intimate birth experience this is because it works like a dream dilation it does dilation you will di- dilation just happens so fast because your contractions are just so beautifully optimized and your body's soft like you say and it's just easy it just opens like a like a flower it's just insane it really does yes and it all it's open and soft and even with my fourth birth I went into it and took it a step further where the language that I was using was very sexual and sensual in my brain and what I and so it was very everything was about plump juicy soft opening Uh. expanding you know and all that like 
by actually really focusing on it, not just like hearing it and not believing it, but actually believing it to be true and experiencing it through intimacy with my partner by letting him take care of me um, in those beginning stages. Like that just made me so much softer and more open that literally birth happened in like five hours. Like it just, ha- it just happens so fast because yeah. you're actually soft and open. Whereas when you're tense, rigid, and sh- like you said, dry as a bone, like everything just holds in and mm. takes longer. Yeah. It, it's that any mammal, any mammal in the wild, you know, they go to a safe place. They go somewhere they, they feel safe, mostly on their own and they labor, but any sign of danger close by their body will instantly make sure that that baby is not coming. So you can imagine all these people that are scared, that worried, that are surrounded by eyes and have their legs wide open and they feel uncomfortable, you know, and we're saying you're not progressing, you're not progressing, you're not progressing, blaming it on the woman which is disgusting yeah. when actually mm-hmm. it's nothing to do with them at all. It's to do with the environment. It's to do with how they're feeling. And this is why, it, you know, progression takes, you know, a long time or it just stops altogether because we are literally sucking the life out of these women, you know, and, yes. and, and putting them in a position where their bodies are going no fucking way, you know? Yeah. And actually, I think that's really important to bring up about the feelings that you're feeling because you can have all the ambiance set up. You can have the essential oils. You can have the dim lighting, which is all really helpful. But if at the end of the day, you're feeling scared, tense, um, nervous, unsure, all these things, and you're feeling kind of like a spotlight on you like that, it's the feelings that's really going to create the outcome of your birth. And a lot of times we kind of think that we're these passive passengers in birth and we have no control over helping the outcome in any way. And obviously there's certain circumstances which are completely happenstance and out of our control, but a lot of it we can influence through how we are feeling. And so it's what this is why we have to get to that place. And that's why a lot of people talk about ambience because it helps you get to that safe feeling. But if you have that ambience and you're still feeling this way, like something else is, is going on inside and that is what needs to be looked into. Exactly. It has to be addressed. You know, we, we could we could use all the tips in the world, you know, uh, uh, for our environment. But if we haven't tackled, you know, um, the references that are in our brain, then you know, it's not going to be helpful. I I always say to people, if you can imagine your, um, your brain, like this, this brain library, the hippocampus part of the brain, where all the references are, emotions, everything is stored. Inside of there, you have references for everything, riding a bike, making a cup of tea, you know, how we act and, you know, everything like that. When we see something, we recognize that's a tree or whatever. So in there's also about birth. We've gone through our childhood hearing about birth, watching Hollywood movies, you know, uh, listening to other people's stories. So the only references we have in our brain by the time we get pregnant, as a person who doesn't really know about birth, all we then know is really basic, shitty information and scenes that we've seen on TV, which are completely dramatised. So if we don't then actually look at that and start putting in things and start working on our reference system, then that's why most of the time you go in and instantly your body goes into this survival mode because it has, it doesn't know. It doesn't know what to reference it to. All it knows is these negative things. 
And that's why working on that part of the brain is, is so important. And it's not like a, an overnight thing, you know, it takes work. Just like anything, you want something to, you want to influence something. You want to do really well at something. It takes time and effort, you know. It's not like I'm just going to wing it and hope, hope, hope it goes well. Like the dream job interview, I'm just not going to prepare. I'm just going to wing it and hope that I get the job. You're going to prepare and you're going to make sure that you know your stuff. And it's exactly the same with birth. Yes, and that's why people, anybody listening who's interested in birth, who's pregnant or gonna be pregnant or know someone who's pregnant should go follow you on Instagram, The Naked Doula, because you share so much information that's basically rewiring the brain of what all the stuff we've been taught our whole life. Because like you said, those images, those videos, they're wheeling the women in, rushing, everyone's screaming, the woman's screaming, oh. and it's like, hurry, get her to the take her and rush her to the delivery room. Like the moment the first contraction is like all that stuff needs to be rewired because it's in your subconscious that we've been seeing our whole lives. Right. And so once you retrain, even just the way you explained your euphoric C-section, that is imprinting into our brain an idea and a thought of what could be. And all that's all of it plays a role into how we view birth. Exactly, 100%. And do you know what? The, the page is designed to help sink into your brain it's really you know that's that's the way it's designed those images and that really basic information mixed with the visuals is why people can just be scrolling through for you know a few weeks and all of a sudden they start to feel this change and this difference in how they they feel towards birth and it's incredible it's absolutely incredible and that's all it takes you know you just gotta start somewhere Perfect. Okay, so what's so we we tackled the sex and birth relation. What's another top tip people need to know about birth? The one of my one of my ultimate ultimate top tips is about your soft face. Your face, your jaw because you know, you might think that you're relaxing your body, but a lot of time we hold tension in our jaw and our jaws are connected to our pelvic floor. So if you can imagine, if we are tense in our face, if we are tense during a contraction in, in our face, or for example, um, the pushing stage of labor, if we're tense, our pelvic floor is very tight. So we are then giving our uterus less room. So it's gonna find it really difficult to contract. We're really going to feel that. And on the pushing stage, we're really going to just make everything very tight down there. So it's going to be very difficult for our baby to come down the birth canal and be born um, in, a, in a gentle way that we want them to be born. So I call it floppy face, floppy fanny. Now, I know in the US, <laughs> fanny means bum, bottom. But I, I know, I'm looking at, I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love it. I'm not referring to the bottom. I'm re referring to your <laughs> vagina. Okay, I'm referring to your vagina. In the UK, we we sometimes call the vagina fanny, and this is what I'm referring to. If you have a floppy face, you're allowing your your vagina to be relaxed as well, and that whole area, and that is literally gold when you're. When you're moving through your contractions, uh, when you feel that intensity rising, just even repeating that mantra, floppy face, floppy funny, floppy face, floppy funny, really concentrating on dropping this face. And then when you get to the peak, thinking, oh my God, this is like the most amazing, optimal time of my contraction, really sort of leaning into that. Literally every single person that I work with and every single story I get from around the world, every single one of them has floppy face, floppy fanny mantra in it because it is gold. 
Yes, I so agree. I, With my first birth, I did hypno babies, like a hypnobirthing class. And while it was helpful, I think I was missing the mark either be maybe it was from the way that I received it or the way that it was explained to me wasn't as helpful for me. But when I went into birth, as I was going through labor, I remember listening to the woman on the tape and I said, this hypnobirthing thing is bullshit. Cause like I wasn't, it wasn't working for me, whatever was imputing. But what I realized after I had multiple births and seeing what was happening, I had, was relaxing my shoulders. I was relaxing my body. I was going to those positions that felt the most comfortable, but I was hiding and retreating from the place that you're the intention of the relaxing is to relax the pelvis area relax the vagina relax that area but I was trying to do that just by retreating from it and finding the most comfortable positions I could find which would slow down labor as opposed towards going towards those places that you don't want to go and then relaxing right there relaxing in those places and you're right I probably had a tense face my shoulders were relaxed though but my legs were relaxed, yeah. but that's not like, it's really, it's, it was really, it's the face like body connection to the vagina that really made all the difference. Once I went to my next verse going, wait, the point of it is to go to the places where you feel it the most when you're saying the highest part of your wave or yep. contraction sensation, and then relax right there instead of trying to hide right. from it. Right. You know, that, that, if, if you can imagine, you know, your, your, um, your surge is like this, this, you know, rise in intensity, that peak for me is so exciting because that peak means that's when your cervix is going to be dilating the most. That's when your contraction is really pulling and helping to dilate. So, you know, at that point, that's like, yes, you know, I'm at the top now. I'm at the top. Let me lean into this. And then yes, you lean, leaning into it, leaning into it. And, you know, that peak only should last around 10 to 20 seconds. You know, if you really feel feel that rise, that 10 to 20 seconds, and then you can let it go. You can let it go. And that's one down, you know, and 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 you're right. I think when you said about um, it didn't compute, you know, with you, it didn't sort of register. This is the thing with hypnobirthing and with you know, how childbirth is educated, how maybe someone else talks about childbirth or teaches hypnobirthing is not going to resonate the same to someone as maybe the way I teach it. And this is why you have to find something that resonates with you. You know, some people um, don't, you know, don't find, I mean, I don't know this, but maybe some people don't like, you know, the sort of visual side and they want more in depth, you know, but then other people come to me and they go, oh, I've done hypnobirthing before and I didn't really get on with it. Then they've done my hypnobirthing. They're like, oh my God, this is insane because it resonates yes. with them. So it has to work for yeah. you. Otherwise, there's no point. Don't go and do a hypnobirthing yeah. class if it's not going to resonate with you because it won't stay in your head. Yeah, exactly. Because it really has to tap into your subconscious and really make sense. And for me, it was like I thought I was doing all the right things by relaxing, but it really, I was missing a mark. And it wasn't until my midwife came in after like hours, so many hours of just staying at like that early stage, but feeling like it was just so long and dragged out. She's like, Ellen, relax your birthing muscles right there. That's where you have to relax or you're never going to progress. Because like you said at the top, it if we resist that contract, that um, contraction and that that peak, then that's making it harder for it to actually open. But if you right. lean into it, then it opens easier, and then your your labor will be quicker. And then it actually starts to feel better when you do that too, because you're not at war with your body. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And th- this is it. When it when it's when it feels right in your brain, and when you're able to 
work with the body, it then becomes a f- completely different feeling. You know, yeah, it feels intense, but it doesn't feel like a scary kind of pain. It feels more like this intense, you know, powerful feeling that you can work with and you know you can do it. And yeah, that's, it's, it's incredible. I can't and wait. And you can even <laughs> relate that to sex. I know. It's, you're going to have an amazing birth. I mean, you've been teaching this and like you're helping so many women with this information that it's like way in your subconscious. Like you know it to be true. Ex- it, so no, cool. exactly. Exactly. I, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited. I can't wait for the contractions. <laughs> they are my favorite things. It's amazing. So can you talk about also the Kiko position? Is that how you talk, how you say it? Yeah. Kiko, Kiso. So Kiko, yeah. K-I-C-O. It, so it's the abbreviation uh, that I coined a few years ago. It stands for knees in, calves out. So, so basically how this works is if you can uh, imagine the, the pelvis, say this is the pelvis, okay? So when we are near to giving birth, our babies drop into the pelvis. So at the start of our labor, we may want to have our legs open, which opens the pelvic inlet, okay? But then as we progress through labor and our baby's dropping down into the pelvis, a lot of the time, then women are told, open your legs really wide, open your legs really wide. But do you see how by doing that, I'm closing off this space at the bottom? So when they get to the pushing stage and women are being told, put your legs, put your legs, knees really far out, you're actually closing this space. When actually, if you brought your knees in, you're actually bringing more space into the pelvic outlet, which gives the baby uh, space to be able to move and turn and come down and into the world. Now, by no means should everyone be doing this because I am a complete advocate for listening to your body and going into positions that feel good for you. However, giving birth on your back with your legs wide open is really not ideal for you or for your baby. And it actually restricts that movement in the pelvis. So many people actually, without even knowing, bring their knees, want to bring their knees inwards it's sometimes just a thing that people, you know, people do in birth, just naturally. And even animals do it. There's some great pictures of giraffes uh, and elephants giving birth with their knees in. It's amazing because naturally that's what they want to do. And that's what Kiko is all about. So it's about opening up the space in the pelvic outlet to give space for your baby to be able to rotate and come out into the world. Okay, so I need to tell you how exciting this is for me because this was the first thing I, I went, My fr- a friend of mine named Yachty was telling me about your page and that's how I found you, like, I forget, maybe eight months ago. And I was scrolling through your page and then I saw this thing about the Kiko position and it was like a light bulb went off for me because in every single birth, I kid you not, what you just said, I have this, as I'm pushing, I have this inclination, like my knees go in and and I'm leaning back normally. I'm like in the tub leaning back. That's just how I end up in the position. And my knees go in and it's always like open, open so we can like see the baby. But I just, I don't know why, but as I start like 
breathing the baby out, my knees just keep going in and it's so hard right. to even get it open because my body doesn't want to do that. And I'm like, why am I doing that? Like, why does my body do that when I want the baby to come out? Like, why am I closing my legs? But the way that you explained that, it was like a light bulb went off for me. So I told my midwife about it. She's like, oh my gosh, yeah, that makes so much sense. She had never heard of that. And I had never heard anybody in all my years of talking about birth ever talk about that. But it makes complete sense when you show the diaphragm or the diagram, I mean, of what it looks like, um, like the female, the bones and the body. Yeah, the pelvis. So then, right. So my question is then, if you're leaning back, like, would it be better then? Because then if I'm leaning back in the tub and my legs are naturally closing, isn't that a little bit harder to maybe like grab the baby feet, like feel the baby? Should I be trying to move into a position where I'm on all fours? Because you showed those three different Kiko options where... You can lean forward, and I guess I could try to do that, but I really like the idea of being able to, like, pull the baby up instead of, like, somebody else grabbing it from behind my butt, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So does it work the same way even if I'm leaning on a tub backwards? 100%. So so when you're in a tub, when you're actually in water... There is no restrictions on the back of your pelvis, your tailbone, because what actually happens is that when baby's coming down, the pelvis wants, the pelvic outlet wants to open, but then also the sacrum, the back of the tailbone of the pelvis wants to move outwards, you see? So you're creating optimal space. This is why lying straight on your back restricts this this tailbone from moving, you know? It's really difficult for for the pelvis to open. What you're doing or what you wanted to do or what you, you were doing unintentionally by bringing your knees in is completely natural completely you know instinctive and that was your body's way of of helping to open up that space in the pelvis. I just find it so beautiful so beautiful because your body instinctively was doing that but in society in our minds we're going oh well, why why is this yeah oh why? open the leg yeah why is this happening and then mid you know midwives or or um, whoever is it's caring for you, open your legs, open your legs. But actually, this is because in, in medical school, they, they don't learn about the biomechanics of the pelvis. That's not something they learn. It, it's, it's unfortunately, uh, you know, a lot of it is medicalized and there's not enough probably about, you know, the physiology of birth and how the pelvis works. Because if there was, we'd probably be getting, you know, most of the time people to actually bring their knees inwards, you know, if we are are coaching that part of birth. So for you, leaning back in the tub, that is absolutely fine. Bringing your knees in, that's fine. You will, you will catch your baby. Even if your knees are in, when your baby's (laughs) coming, you will catch your baby, you know? Yeah, you'll know as soon as it, yeah, exactly. 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 It's so true. And there's no, there's not even any rush, Ellen, to to, to get get the baby out of the water, you know? That gentle transition... Um, is is absolutely fine. You know, there's no there's no real rush to do that. To, to, and taking that you know birth pause um, that that so many do, that is completely fine. But yeah, you'll find a lot of people ask the same thing. They're like, yeah, but if I do that, I can't get. You will. Yeah. You will. Yeah. Because you as will. soon as the baby is expelled, as soon as you feel the baby being expelled from your vagina you know you you are automatically there your knees are already out the way yes you know so do you feel like it's more optimal though to lean forward with that like bear crawl type of look is it a little bit easier even that way within that position it it will always be most optimal leaning forward or upright 
only because then you're working with gravity. If you can imagine, um, if you're sort of laying this, laying down or laying back or, or in that sort of le le um, leaning position, your baby, when, it, when the baby comes out, they have to actually go up like this, up and out the vagina. If you are more in an upright position, they're going down with the gravity. So that's the I only think, reason. I think why. I, yeah, no, keep going. That's the only reason why, but ultimately it's, it's whatever feels instinctively right to do at that time, because your body knows better than any, whatever people say mm. around you, whatever I've said or whatever, you know, whatever, you know, the midwife or doctor said, your body knows the best position to be in at that time for your baby. So it has to be, mm -hmm. it has to be comfortable for you. Right. I think I always instinctively, like I start on all fours, but then as I'm like, as that really pushing inclination surge is happening and I'm trying to slow it down, I try, I go back cause I'm like trying to breathe the baby up so it doesn't come out so hard, you know, the way that it's like that soft, gentle breathing out as opposed to right. pushing out. Yeah, so that's why I end up doing that. But I'm so excited to take that information into my next birth. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear yeah. about it. It's going to be so yeah. really fast as well. I'll tell, yeah, I'll tell you how it goes. I know because it is, it is the, you know, fast. Even all of mine have been like under 30 to 40 minutes. But I wonder how much easier it will be with keeping that natural intuition right. to close, close the legs, how it'll go from then. So I'll, I'll update you guys. <laughs> So then is this position then when you speak about it mainly just for when you reach full dilation and you're breathing baby out or is it also during labor positions? So if you can, uh, a lot of people use it, use it and instinctively go into it for the pushing, push, I say pushing with inverted commas because I hate the, the, the forced pushing sort yeah. of context of yes. that. Um, but a lot of people do use it in that uh, place, but... At the, the later stages of your labor, when your baby is at the bottom of the pelvis, okay, if you, um, if you, if your midwife did an exam, for example, some people have them, some people don't, and they told you, you know, your baby's station is, is sort of down here, which is plus zero, plus one, two, three, four, five, okay, which is medical, a lot of people don't talk about it, but anything below that point, anything later on in labor, then that is a good good position to use. I've had women use it for back-to-back -back labor. They've actually found it really helpful, maybe because it opens up the space and, and takes the pressure off the nerves on the back. Um, others have used it for later on in labor for uh, breech babies as well. So again, it has to be instinctive. It shouldn't be a case of, oh, what do I do now? Let me go into this position. No, just go with your body. You're, you want to allow your baby to come into the pelvis, really connect with your baby, feel you where your baby is, and do what your body wants to do, you know? So yeah, Kiko is for later, later stages of labor and for the pushing, breathing baby out stage. Yes, <laughs> perfect. So we have, to recap that, we basically have the focusing on the oxytocin when it comes to your labor and equating sex and birth and how even kissing, hugging, sensational, sen sensual 
experiences is associated with having a more pleasurable birth. Then you talked about the um, floppy face, floppy fanny and relaxing down there, relaxing your face and your vagina. And then there's the Kiko position, like all three of those things I'm seeing in your testimonies of that helping people so much in their birth. So much so. And you know what? A floppy face, floppy fanny, practice that whilst you go to the toilet. If you need to go for a number two and you're struggling, try that technique whilst you're doing that. And also, if you're being intimate with your partner, practice it then when you're having sex. Like, and feel how intense and insane your orgasm is. Because you can really notice the difference if you allow your face. I mean, you might look a bit, you might feel a bit silly because, you know, but if you just completely let go, then you will really notice the difference in how that feels. And it's just a perfect reminder of how you can implement that into birth. That's great advice. And this also makes me think of if you're listening to this and you're pregnant, you don't have a partner, like you can be intimate with yourself um, to help get you to that place as well. So I want to get into my next question about, I saw you do a post about your reasons why you should or shouldn't have an epidural. Can you kind of explain the pros and cons and the different experiences or examples when one should or shouldn't in their birth? Yeah, for for sure. So So first and foremost... The decision is ultimately yours, no matter what. Um, But I always say to people, the decision shouldn't be based around fear. It should be based around really informed um, choice and understanding of the body. So someone who um, may be considering uh, an epidural and where an epidural might be really helpful is someone who has been laboring for an extremely long time. They're very tired, they're um, not getting along very well. What happens when you have an epidural at this time is it gives your body the much needed rest that you need for your um, body to build up that energy and, and birth your baby. Okay, that is a, a really good example of where an epidural may be helpful. Um, there's also other times, for example, if, you know, some people do find it extremely overwhelming. They find it, you know, spiritually, physically, emotionally, just everything's just too much for them. And when that is the case, and, you know, you're never going to progress with that with that mind and with that feeling of, 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 of fear. Um, and this is where it would be extremely helpful. And also that leading on to my other point is being very tense. Again, if you're completely tense, you cannot let it go. And some people can't. Some people are so tense that they're, even if you try and help them relax, they just, it, they just can't. It's just, it's too much. And at that point, that's not going to be helpful for the body or for the baby. So an epidural might be a a good answer to that. But the thing is with epidurals is you don't have to just go in and have an epidural and all of a sudden you can't move your legs, which is what a lot of people think. Um, You can have a walking epidural. You can control how much of the epidural you're having so you can still feel certain things. Um, And even if you do have an epidural, and I'll go on to the reasons against in a second. Even if you do have an epidural, you can still implement things like Kiko from a side-lying position with help from your midwife. So there are ways around. It doesn't mean if you have an epidural, that's it, you know, um, you can't do anything, you can't move. There are lots of options for that. 
So that's important for people to remember that if they do, there are there are options. Now, reasons against um, reasons against an epidural would be, first of all, they are not always successful, and people don't realize this, but they don't always work for some people. Um, so you can imagine you really, really want it and then it doesn't work. I mean, that's going to be even worse a situation. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, it has an effect on your your body's natural hormones. So it has an effect on your oxytocin. Um, unfortunately, it can lead to other interventions because if if you are, if you, uh, an epidural primarily is blocking the sensations and the nerves and the connection and the, the 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 talking that's happening between the bottom of your body and your brain. So if there's a break in that connection, a block in that connection, your your body can't talk to your brain, your brain can't talk to your body and that the hormones can't flow properly. So then you may need to introduce things like um syntocinon uh, or pitocin uh, known in America, which is the artificial hormone artificial oxytocin hormone drip um and other types of interventions which you know can then cause um can then sort of lead on to other interventions like instrumental birth and emergency c-sections and this is why it's really important to know the pros and the cons because i'm not saying that if you have an epidural all those things will happen to you because that's not the case but statistically this is what it looks like if you were to have it. Um, it's also advised not to have an epidural later on, too late in your labor, because it can have an effect on the baby. So baby may come out quite drowsy, it might take them longer to uh, latch to the breast um, and, and things like that. So it is really important to be aware of, um, but at the same time, sometimes it is needed and sometimes it is extremely helpful for those who do need it. That's really helpful. Thank you for sharing that. So I think it's like at the end of the day, it comes down to your informed choice and be able to hear the pros and cons to both things. And each situation is different. Every woman is different. And so it just depends. And when you said about that, that part about how some women can't, um, you know, relax, I, a lot of times it it really depends on like the state of their emotion, their trauma, that maybe there are some past traumas result like unresolved. Right. And if that if they wanted and desired a labor without an epidural, they might go into their next pregnancy if they get pregnant again being and wanting to kind of resolve and heal some of those traumas through different modalities that um, help them that might really shift the way that they feel going into the next labor. Yeah, 100%. You know, some people really, they love, they're like, oh, I'm so glad I had the epidural. Or those who have gone through a whole labored, whole, you know, completely naturally to a point where they've gone, no, I, I just need it. Uh, I'm too tired now. And, you know, that's okay. It's all about informed choice. This is all about pro-choice. Like, it just has to be your decision and it has to be an informed decision. And that way, however it, however the outcome is, as long as you've made those informed choices along the way, it's always going to feel, you know, uh, positive to you because you've helped make those decisions. It's not being taken out of your control. Yeah, it'll be empowering rather than disempowering. Right. Totally. Okay, so my next question is, what advice do you have for women going into the first half, the beginning stages of their labor? I I love to talk about this because so a lot of the time as soon as contractions start people tend to go oh oh my god 
and they'll they'll start looking around for things that they possibly need to to do, uh, you know, or or we need to call somebody. But actually, when you first start to feel those those um, those surges, which are manageable at the start of your labour, this is a perfect time to celebrate, and it's a perfect time to really party. Uh, or I like to say party through the first stage of your labor and um, get the music on that you love, you know, dance, move. All this movement and dancing and mixed with oxytocin is, is gold dust. It is, it is setting you up for a really incredible birth experience because not only dancing and the movement, statistically, that has shown so many good results. It's, it's shown... You know, especially dancing in the first stage of labor has shown to increase dilation. It's it's shown to um, be linked to shorter labors, you know. And this is all because not only are you moving, helping baby move down, gravity, and also moving during contractions is so, so good for managing how it feels. But then on top of that, listening to music that makes you feel really, really good or that music where you go, oh my God, this reminds me of like five years ago when I went to that holiday um, or, I, you know, we did this or that is going to really spark memories and re- really feel good feelings inside your brain, which then helps with oxytocin, helps with endorphins. So first stage of labor, celebration time, get the music on be with your partner, you know, or whoever makes you feel good, dance, move, enjoy, you know, but at the same time, if that doesn't feel good for you, if you are at the first stage of labor and all you want to do is sleep, sleep, it's all about listening to your body, you know, it's all about listening to your body, but for those who do feel like they are awake and they want to do something, dance, dance and party, first stage of labor, I love that. It's so true, especially for first time laborers. Um, It can be tempting to be like, first contraction, quick, call the doctor, call the midwife, get everything. Like, and it's a little bit hyper, but um, it's really helpful, I think, to take both what you said about if you're going into labor in the middle of the night, just try to sleep because you want to have the energy for the next day. If your active labor actually doesn't really start until maybe the next night. And if you haven't slept all night the night before, you know, that's going to kind of be at a disadvantage for you once you go into that labor because you want to have energy once it gets more intense but then during the day the party aspect of just making it beautiful and flow filling I feel like is connected to the oxytocin aspect that you're talking about about intimacy and just love and calm safe secure dancing is a part of that and then I also think a third component that can be really helpful too is just um try not try to just keep going about your day, you know, because if you're like, stop, it's labor time. It might feel like your labor is longer than it actually is. And it might feel a little defeating if by the next evening you're like, why isn't the baby here yet? When really, if that whole first day you're just going about your day, you don't even have to tell anyone, you know, as long as you can talk through the contractions and the waves, like just keep going about your day. Cause that's gonna, for one, help move it along too. Cause you're moving about along with like dancing. And then on top of it, it, your labor is going to feel a lot shorter. Exactly, exactly. If, if, you know, if you feel things coming on and you can just get on with your day, 100%. If it's in the middle of the night and you can sleep, sleep, you know. Mm-hmm. At, like, it's such good advice. And then when things do get regular, 
when things start to get to, to get more regular and a little bit more intense, then you can, you know you can introduce the dance. You can go right, okay. But time yeah. pressures are a big thing. When we put time pressures on ourselves, and I always say to people, take down your clock. If you have a clock mm. on the wall, take it down. You know, don't don't keep looking at times on your phone. Like you need to really get into this whole losing the track of time because time can really be the thing that slows labor down and causes these sort of panics um, along the way. Right. So true. I so agree with that. It's such helpful information that a lot of people just don't even talk about. And also part of it is from the movies that we see like first contract and let's go get to the hospital. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's like the the, the break, you know, water's breaking like that only happens to 10% of women Mm -hmm. before labor. And even at that point, labor may not start straight away, which is also okay, which is also a variation of normal. So, you know, what we see on TV is like, Water's breaking, you know, in the middle of the supermarket and everyone's, ah! And it's, you know, it's not like that. It doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. You know, it's it's not. Right. It's, uh, I'm glad you brought up water's breaking, though, because uh, it is advised that to not be intimate or to not have sex if your water has already broken. And that is really helpful information. It (laughs) Uh, is. But yes, it's a small percent. It is. It is. So, yeah. So, obviously, when your water's, we, you know, Yeah, totally. Okay, so can I want to talk a little bit more about the topic of um, no forced pushing. Can you explain a little bit about that? Because that is kind of the standard, like when you, you feel the urge to push or you're, or let's say you have an epidural and you're told, push, you know, yeah. there's a big stigma around it. And I know with my first birth, um, I ignored the advice of my midwife because my labor was so long that once I got to that really extreme urge to push something I basically had never felt before in my life, obviously, um, she's telling me to slow down, breathe, like don't push, like that type of thing. And I just, I ignored her because I was like, I just want to get this baby out as fast as I can. I'm so over this basically is what I felt. Um, When really pushing wasn't actually necessarily going to make the baby come out any faster. And I only caused a disservice to myself because then I did tear and it was minor. It was only like a few stitches. But once I went into my other, my next labors, my last three labors, I took the advice of the no force pushing and the breathing baby up and the gentle, and I have I did not tear since. So let's get into that. What's your best advice to avoid tearing all that? I, I love this one because sometimes it causes, you know, quite a bit of controversy controversy and, and, and conversations because people can't understand like how you can breathe your baby out. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm saying that, and I'll explain a bit more about the technique in a minute, I, I'm not saying just breathe like this, you know, 
you know, we, we are going to do a bit of work. But the forced pushing, so the the, the gritted teeth and uh, kind of pushing that mm-hmm. uh, you often see on the television and that people often talk about and still happens now in hospitals is extremely outdated. You know, it, it it's... It's from, it's from so, that advice is from so, so long ago. It was like featured in 1920s Vogue magazine, you know, about the best way <laughs> to push your baby out using gritted teeth and forced pushing. But actually since then, they found that this can be really dangerous for you and for your baby because you're really restricting the oxygen to your baby. But also, like you say, when, that, when we're forcing against something, that's, you know, uh, not, you know, it's very tight and not able to stretch and open, you know, we are going to increase our chances of tearing or needing instrumental, um, instrumental, you know, birth and other interventions. So breathing your baby out is really about working with those contractions. So they're very backwards feeling because you've gone through this whole, you know, first, you know, first, a stage of labor with these, you know, surges feeling a certain way, then all of a sudden they sort of do a backflip and you're, you're, you can't, you know, help but feel this bearing down. And this is where you really want to work with that. You know, when you, when you feel that rise to, to, and fall to bear down, this is where you really want to take that breath and just take that breath down through the body and you, you're using that breath to help push gently on your uterus. Some people don't even have to do that, you know, because just by doing that motion and just by leaning into it, your body naturally, your your uterus is doing most of the work. So you don't tend to have to put a lot of, uh, of anything into it. But it's about keeping that face soft, surrendering into it and using that breath to push down the body. What's really important about this is sometimes you will have pauses in between and those pauses are really important. They're not, you know, oh, oh no, like, you know, I need to keep pushing. No, those pauses are made to be there. They're helping your perineum stretch. They're helping, you know, your your body to just gain that bit of energy it needs again. There's so many reasons for that. And this is why it's important at this point to go, right, okay, I'm just going to really just be in control of this situation now. And I'm going to really work with my body, take the energy I need to take during those pauses, and then work with your body again and breathe your baby out. So many people uh, come to me and say, oh my God, I literally breathe my baby out. I, I can't believe it. I never thought it was actually possible. I thought, you know, you had to push, but you don't. And some people don't even have to do absolutely nothing at all because the fetal ejection reflex of the uterus literally just expels your baby. You know, when your baby's ready to come, your baby's ready to come and you cannot do anything, no, yeah. anything about it, right? So, yeah, I, 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 I get really frustrated when I hear, you know, people, oh, I was, to- I was told I was forced to, to really push hard and force and... And it makes me really sad, especially because some of these people, you know, really didn't want to do that, but they felt really coerced into doing that. Um, and this is why, you know, preparation is important and having the conversation with your provider and being able to advocate, you know, which is not always possible when you're in, I mean, when you're in the birth world, in the birth zone and you're having a baby, you're extremely vulnerable, 
you know? Mm. But if you can take yourself and just bring yourself back to that moment and work with your body, it, it will work wonders. And you like like you yeah. said, you didn't you didn't tear, and that won't be the case for everyone, but you're highly reducing your risk of tearing by allowing your your face to be soft, that floppy face, floppy fanny, and breathing your baby out rather than that forced pushing. Yeah, and a lot of times that that forced pushing does feel like an intuition. Like it's like it feels like like you want to push. Like for me, it's like I don't have any desire to push until baby is coming. And all of a sudden, it's like this irresistible. Oh, I have to like you want to push. Yeah. And so what my midwife recommended to me in my second birth because she's like this wonderful midwife that's been she's retired now she's like in her 80s now but or how actually I don't know her exact age now but she's she's definitely retired and she practiced in um certain parts of Africa at one point and learned from all different types of amazing she was incredible um but she told me to breathe my baby up to do like the counter into of my intuition because I had such a strong desire to push like I wanted to push that's what my body that's what I wanted to do but in order to help lessen the likelihood of tearing and to go slower so that your body can stretch as the head is coming out. She said, breathe up. And it sounds so weird. And I looked at her like she was crazy at first, but I did it. And it, it was amazing. It was an amazing way for me to counter that the energy desire to push really hard. Right. Yes. So I was, so I breathed up basically with this <gasps> breathing up so that I wasn't doing that. Ooh, pushing that I wanted to do and that helped me so much so but it was a form of breath getting that baby out but it was just a way to get it was a way to help me to actually channel it as opposed to go into what I wanted to do which was actually push super hard do you know what 100% and it makes so it makes so much sense it makes so much sense because you're countering that energy and that's perfect and again if if that works for you that's fantastic and I I actually Mm -hmm. love that I I love that because I've never the way you've explained it I've, I've, I've seen that and I talk about it but not in that way so I really really yeah. like the way you've spoken yeah. about that um, yeah. but it's so true because you do get this unbearable urge to to yeah. push down and people you know you can't help it's just happening and this yeah. is where you really need to work with that energy and by breathing sort of breathing up to then release and breathe down is yeah. a beautiful way of doing yeah. it beautiful way yeah because it it basically helps slow it but it actually you would think oh that means it's going to take longer for the baby to come out but it didn't at all it just wasn't it actually was faster like a lot faster to come out but it was just a more gentle transition right. where I wasn't pushing hard on my body yeah. I wasn't forcing that baby's head down it was going a little bit lighter and then it came out like just right. more, more gentle Right, because you're redirecting that energy, you know, that energy of, uh, you're, you're bringing it up, you're redirecting the yeah. energy, you know, uh, and then it's, it's, it's yeah. actually really good because then you sort of, you know, naturally bear down in a more controlled yeah. way. So yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, and then she did at the very end, she, she, she checked and she's like, okay, the cord is wrapped around the neck, now you need to actually push. So then, I, then that last one that I, that I did that natural urge to just like grunt it out, um, and then baby came right out after that, so that was amazing. Do you know what as well, you've just touched on grunting there, noises is such a wonderful tool, especially during that stage of labour, don't be scared to use low vibrational noises, um, it's really helpful, it's another way to use that energy, what you were just saying about that yeah, unbearable urge um actually using noise as a way to direct that energy is a really useful tool as well 
Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, totally. And then I also think going back to that forced pushing thing you were saying, a lot of times it seems to happen the most if someone has had an epidural and they can't feel their body, right. so they don't know their body signals, and then they're kind of told, push really hard here, as opposed to the breathing baby out techniques, um, which would be a lot more helpful. Exactly, exactly. And do you know what? You can still, you can still be able to, to sort of take aspects from that even if you've had an epidural so just remember to keep your face really soft so when you are sort of using your breath to, to push down to bear down you can still do the same technique you can still you know apply that pressure but keep your face really soft and it will ultimately reduce you know the, the chances of tearing even with an epidural yeah because if you can't feel your body and so they have to tell you when the waves are coming essentially right Right. and then at that point when they're saying push you could use that push signal to actually breathe baby out 100 percent. yeah at those times okay this has been such a fun conversation i have one more question for you um but i just love all these different aspects about having an empowered birth experience so can you just share your final takeaway for anyone listening on how to have an empowered birth experience. For sure, so it's really important for people to remember that this is your birth, this is your birth, okay? This is this is nobody else's story. This is nobody else's, you know, interest. This, this is all about you and for you. And no matter what birth you're having, you can influence it. It's really, you know, you have to be in the right frame of mind, but if you really truly want to experience birth in an enjoyable way, start now. And that could, it doesn't matter where you are in your journey. Maybe you're, you know, in your third trimester, maybe you're, you're, maybe you're listening to this on your due date. It's okay. It's not too late. It's never too late to really dig within, dig deep within ourselves, find that inner power, just through knowledge, education, educate yourselves and, you know, find that knowledge and find that power. Once you find yourself doing this, you honestly, you open your eyes and you become this, this ball of confidence and you go into labor feeling really good about what's going to happen because you understand just like anything, you're not going to jump out of an airplane without doing the preparation first. You know, you're not going to, you're going to go, you're going to do the preparation, you're going to understand what's happening, then you're going to jump out and you're going to feel good, like you know what you've got to do. It's the same with birth. So please, I urge everyone to get the, get the confidence first and foremost, to get yourself educated and just watch yourself grow, watch that power burn inside of you, it's like a fire and just feel really amazing about birth. Follow, follow pages and accounts that make you feel good not just my I mean like in general and delete mm-hmm. and mute anything that makes you feel like crap mm. yes, get it absolutely. out your life yes the energy protecting your energy in yeah. such a vulnerable and sensitive time for sure Yes. Oh my gosh. This is amazing. Thank you so much. I feel so pumped going into my fifth birth now. I mean, I just love birth so much. It just gets me so excited. It's probably my fa- one of my favorite things to talk about for sure. Oh, I, it's been so amazing. And I just love that you're so close as well. I feel like this is such a good time to be having this conversation. Like, I just love it. And you're making me excited and I've got a while to go yet. (laughs) Oh, but I'm so excited for you too. Like you're just going to have such an amazing birth and I can't wait to see it unfold. Thank you. 
Okay, well, I think we'll end it here. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next episode.